how do you know who is great at being humble? How do you know a person who is great at being humble? What indicators do you do you see in that person that tells you that boy that's a humble person? Attitude. Attitude is different. Attitude is different. Okay. Okay, they put others ahead of themselves. Okay, they don't lift themselves up or inflate their own. Uh, and they always pray for others. And they pray for others. Okay, look at uh, page 92. Bible meets life. Someone read that, please. Abraham Lincoln is recognized as one of America's greatest leaders and one of the most humble. In the middle of the Civil War, he wrote about the dangers of sustained success. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have grown in numbers, wealth, power, as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. As the solution, President Lincoln called for a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. He knew that trying always leads to the downfall. Today's study is another national leader who came to place of humiliation. Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar was a man very full of himself. But God taught him a costly yet valuable lesson about what it means to live humbly before him. Okay, so... We're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar. A couple of questions <clears throat> before we go into that is, what are some everyday actions and attitudes that demonstrate an abundance of pride as we look around our country today, as we go day in and day out? One question, what are some of the daily actions and attitudes that demonstrate that we are full of ourselves? Hmm? Do you know who I am? I was in the I was in the grocery store yesterday. By, by, by the way, I was in a grocery store yesterday, and um, I saw this guy walking through the store as we were shopping. I said, "This guy looked familiar," you know, I, and I couldn't place him. And uh, when we got to the cashier, um, the cashier was checking up my wife's stuff, and uh, she was asking for a price on on one of the items. And uh, the cashier said that, um, told the, cat, the pocket boy to go and get the price. And so the fellow was standing right there behind us, and he said that, uh, that uh, the, my wife told her what the, what the butcher told her the price was. And the fellow said, uh, yeah, that's the price. I, I bought one of those uh, last week, and that, that's what I paid. And so the cashier said, well, uh, I really can't take your word. And the fellow said, you see this face? <laughs> Do you know who this face is? <laughs> I, said, I remember that when you said that. Uh, the guy was, because uh, Sister B. Fowler was there, and I remember we were, when we were walking through the store, she greeted him, and uh, she said, how you doing, Mr. Smith? You know, it's one of the former MPs. I think it's Philip Smith. 
I think it's for, you know, and, and I, when I saw him, I said, this fellow looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. And he looked at, he said, does this face, what, did you see this face? <laughs> you know? And I think that's one of the signs, to what Dave says. I would trust him at There you go. <laughs> I've to say that, you know, a former politician got to say, look at this face. Can you trust this face? Okay, so that's one of the indications. People's attitudes. They inflate their attitudes. Okay, next question. What are some everyday actions and attitudes that demonstrate humility? What are some everyday actions that demonstrate humility? Others before you. Others before you. Okay, what else? Peacemaker. Hmm? Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Okay. So we know how to distinguish people who are filled with themselves, puffed up with pride, and we also know those who demonstrate humility. Look at the point, page top of page 92. What does it say? Pride leads does what? Leads to a downfall. Uh, it always happens. It never ever fails. Pride always leads to a downfall. It's not a hit and miss. It always leads to a downfall. But God always honors humility. You be humble, God will definitely honor you, guaranteed. Okay, um, let's look at the passage then and see what God's word has to say. Uh, someone read verses 28 to 30 on page 93. Page 93, read verses 28 to 30. 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, 29, at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon, the great that I have built by my vast power to be a royal resident and to display my majestic glory? Okay. Boy, you really got it, eh? <laughs> The phrase at the, notice the phrase, at the end of 12 months. Now there's a little description there of Babylon. You see that on the, on the right hand side of the page? The capital of the region of Babylon, it was located on the Euphrates River about 50 miles south of modern day Baghdad. The city dates at least to the period of the Old Testament patriarchs and reached zenith under Nebuchadnezzar. So this is what he's talking about here. You know, how the kingdom had built itself up and how it was so great. And uh, the greatest period for that kingdom was during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And so now he's bragging that this is something that he did, his accomplishment. But notice it says the phrase, uh, at, the, at the end of 12 months, uh, refers to the passing of a year since Daniel's interpretation. God withheld holy retribution for one solid year. Talk about mercy, eh? God withheld a retribution for one solid year. One day, in a gush of grandeur, however, Nebuchadnezzar gazed at the city of Babylon as he was walking on the roof of his royal palace. Babylon indeed became one of the greatest, if not the greatest, city of that era. But under Nebuchadnezzar's leadership, the Euphrates River was channeled into the reservoirs throughout the city. A bridge 400 feet long connected the east and the west sections of the city. 
talk about engineering. He created magnificent streets, including an opulent processional way that was a thousand yards long and led to a massive seven-jeweled ziggurat that towered over 250 feet into the sky. Not only that, but he created the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In addition to that, the king created two massive sets of double walls, completed with watchtowers. The largest set was over 25 feet thick and possibly stood 30 to 40 feet tall, covering a distance of 17 miles. So when you look at all this stuff, this infrastructure, that's what he was looking at when he was walking on the roof. He was looking at all this stuff and he was praising himself because he's the one that made it possible according to him. And so God was listening to all of that. God says, oh yeah? We'll see. Okay, let's read uh, the passage on page 94. Nebuchadnezzar King Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. Once again, the king asked his wise men, mediums, and astrologers to interpret the dream. Once again, they were clueless. And once again, Daniel, in whom the king said was the spirit of the holy gods, told him what the dream meant. In his dream, the king saw a large, beautiful tree cut down, leaving only the stump on the roots. The vision was a warning from God to Nebuchadnezzar. He was heading down the wrong road. God told Nebuchadnezzar that what would happen if he didn't change. The king had no room for God because he was so full of himself. Or more accurately, he was full of pride. God's ultimate purpose was to break Nebuchadnezzar's pride and lead him to knowledge of God. Your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you knowledge of the heavens rules. Daniel pleaded with Nebuchadnezzar to repent, to show mercy to the needy, according to verse 27. And perhaps Nebuchadnezzar did so for a while. Or perhaps God gave the king an additional year as an act of mercy. Nevertheless, at the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar gave in to his pride. As Nebuchadnezzar looked at the great city of Babylon, all he saw was his own vast power and majestic glory. Granted, Babylon was a large and magnificent city. Historians wrote with awe about Nebuchadnezzar's extensive building projects, particularly the Hanging Gardens, considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Yet as Nebuchadnezzar looked out over this marvelous city, all he saw was himself. In spite of Daniel's warning, Nebuchadnezzar still hadn't learned humility, but he was about to. Now, notice some things about Nebuchadnezzar. Well, first, we are told that he had another dream. He was having all these dreams. God was giving him these, these dreams 
to let him know what God wanted to do and what God wanted to change in his life. Once again, the king asked the wise men and mediums and astrologers to interpret, and once again they were clueless. They didn't know what, they didn't have a clue on what the dreams meant. And then we also noticed in his dream he saw a large, beautiful tree cut down, leaving only a stump. The vision was a warning from God to Nebuchadnezzar that he was going down the wrong road. So God is giving him a heads up, so to speak. And God always does that. You know, before God brings judgment, he always gives us a heads up to let us know that, listen, you're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong path. You're going down the wrong road. And then we also notice, thirdly, Daniel pleaded with Nebuchadnezzar to repent and to show mercy to the needy. And then in spite of Daniel's warnings, Nebuchadnezzar still didn't learn humility. And so God had to step in. And God had to take matters into his own hands. God has said, okay, he's not going to get the message. I need to deal with him. Okay, question number two. How would you describe the difference between being proud and being prideful? How would you describe the difference between, between, between being pride, being proud and being prideful? Anybody? Hmm? Almost the same. They're almost the same. Uh, proud, being proud is a positive expression of, of pride. Okay, being proud is a positive expression of proud, pride, while being prideful is negative. Whenever a person be, is prideful in their attitudes and their actions, they're negative. It's, it's a negative demonstration of pride. Okay, let's look at the other verses. Uh, verses 31 to 33. Someone read those, please. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. <coughs> king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky, until his hair grew like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's paws. Okay. So grass ain't new. Nebuchadnezzar was on grass for seven years. All right, God really put him in his place, didn't he? Okay, notice. Six times in this chapter, God is referred to as the Most High. Six times. Verse 2, verse 17, verse 24, verse 25, verse 32, verse 34. And this name refers to God's sovereign rule in heaven and on earth. So whenever you see the, that phrase, Most High, it is a reminder that God is in absolutely 129% in control of everything. Okay? It means that there's absolutely nothing outside of His control. In other words, nothing takes Him by surprise. Nothing that happens takes Him by surprise. He knows everything that's going on. 
And so take note of that phrase, most high. Those who allows, those he allows to rule on earth need to acknowledge his sovereignty. Those persons in government need to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. You know, someone said that one recently that uh, one of the, I think it was the Prime Minister said, you could do this or you could do it, but you still got to come back to me. All right? But he got to go back to God. God is the one who's in control, not him. He may think that he's in control. You know, sometimes when leaders have power, they become intoxicated with it. All right? And they think that there's nobody bigger than them. But Nebuchadnezzar thought the same way. And look what God did to him. God had him crawling on his knees eating grass for seven years. Cautious about pride. Nebuchadnezzar's beast-like behavior was a picture of this of a life saturated with self at the expense of failing to acknowledge the most high God. Anytime we fail to acknowledge God, God will do some things in your life that will astound people, they, wouldn't, they would never believe that you could get so low. I know a fellow who was in school with me, and this fellow was one of the biggest things on, on, on the school campus, you know. Everybody was looking up to him. And uh, many years after graduation, I was driving on Carmichael Road, and he was on the side of the road on his knees barking at the cars like dog. I was shocked. He was on his knees on the side of the road. And when the cars passed, he was rup, rup, rup. I've never seen anything like that. You know, so what do you see God doing with Nebuchadnezzar here? He's still doing that. Because that's in our modern times that I saw that. Okay? God will bring you to your knees. Notice the phrase in verse 33. At that moment, it refers to the very moment the king made his private, private declaration in verse 30. The sentence was executed exactly as the voice from heaven, he said in verse 32. Instead of enjoying the comfort of his palace, Nebuchadnezzar's body was drenched with dew from the sky. How did his body become drenched with dew from the sky? Because he was living out under the heavens like the animals. Okay, he was living like the, the oxes and the oxen that were grazing in the meadows. You know, when the, when the dew comes down, it falls on them. Because they don't have no house to go into or no palace. And that's what God brought him down to. And Paul pointed out in the first chapter of Romans that whenever individuals exchange the glory of God for things God created, they reap the wicked harvest of their choice. Remember that verse says, God gave them over? And, and, and in Romans, we see that phrase many times repeated. God gave them over. God gave them over. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans. Whenever they continue to deny God's rule, he releases them to follow their own desires and to experience the, the destructive outgrowth of their sin. You see that in Romans chapter, chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 25. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, let's have someone read the uh, passages on page 95. King Nebuchadnezzar's prideful words were still in his mouth. God executed judgment on him. Nebuchadnezzar was instantly driven from his people. The 
became like a wild animal and lived with the animals for seven years. In all like likelihood, he suffered some sort of mental breakdown. Psychologist. Psychologist. Um, have identified a rare mental illness, bio and the free. Yeah, bio and the in which a person believes he or she is actually a cow or ox. No matter how we label it, Nebuchadnezzar's condition came from the hand of God. The Lord humbled the king. A person full of pride doesn't think clearly. When Adam and Eve came into temptation, hoping they would be like God, they were neither thinking clearly nor seeing the truth. Pride can lead you to think that you don't need God. In fact, pride can push you to become your own false God. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. His clear thinking led to total irrational behavior. Ultimately, he experienced God's judgment. Up to that point, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was in control. Then God taught him otherwise. God is always in charge, as Solomon. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord evaluates the motives. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be achieved. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. All of us have choice regarding humility. We can humble ourselves before God or he will do the humbling for us. God resists the pride but gives grace to the humble. A prideful attitude runs contrary to the will and wisdom of God. Pride brings conflict with others and with God. Pride gives, keeps us from experiencing life to the fullest under the love and grace of God. Again, we can recognize the disaster, the danger, and humble ourselves, or God will break us of our pride so that we can see Him. Okay, now notice a couple of things uh, in what we just read, uh, some major points. Uh, the first one, while Nebuchadnezzar's prideful words were still in his mouth, God executed judgment. In other words, the words weren't even out of his mouth good enough yet. God slammed them with, with judgment. Okay? So that means that judgment don't always come later on, as we like to think. Oh, it's going to come eventually. Before the words were actually out of his mouth, God slammed him with judgment. And then uh, the other point is, a person full of pride doesn't think clearly. And of course, I'm sure all of us have experienced that at some point or another. Pride can lead you to think you don't need God. And we see that happening today. And then another point is, all of us have a choice regarding humility. We can humble ourselves before God, or He will, be, he will do the humbling for us. One way or another, you're going to be humbled. You can humble yourself, or God is going to humble you. Nebuchadnezzar had the opportunity to humble himself, and he, cho he chose not to do it. So God says, oh man, i got to take matters into my own hands. What we often say when we can't get something done right, if you want something done good, you got to do it yourself. And God says, you know, I told him, I tried to get him, well, i got to do this myself. Uh, question number three. On page 95. What does the question say? 
Where do you see prize destructive power at work in today's culture? Okay, where do we see pride destructive power at work in our culture today? In the Russian Square. <laughs> in the Russian Square. <laughs> in the Russian Assembly, okay. Yeah, I tell you, um, you know, I think sometimes they really shouldn't broadcast some of that stuff that they have on there. You know, because it doesn't do uh, anything for the young people of our country to see them carrying on like that. You know, uh, but that's the, that's the epitome of where it's happening. The destructive power of pride. But don't forget that it was a narrative when people showed you that his voice was the voice of God, not of man. He was eaten by worms. Eaten by worms, eaten alive. You know, God struck him so that he didn't even die before the worms started eating him. Now, normally, the worms start eating a dead body. Okay, God says, I'm going to show you. The worms start, worms start eating him alive. So we see God talking about how we are to acknowledge him and his sovereignty when he uses the phrase, the Most High God. Okay, we have an exercise on page 97. It's a personal assessment, pride and humility. A couple of questions there. How often do you model humility for the members of your family? And you have two answers, rarely, or regularly. Okay, that's for you to answer before the Lord. You don't answer that here. Okay, but it's a question to ponder. And then the other question is, uh, do your co-workers think of you as proud or humble? Do your co-workers think of you as proud or humble? Really or regularly? Okay, that should be an eye-opener. They probably won't tell you before you, to your face, but they'll talk to somebody else behind your back. And the person will come right back and tell you anyway. Right? That's what happens, right? Boy, let me tell you what she said about you. How often, next one is, how often do you display an abundance of pride in your possessions? Really? Regularly. Some people are proud about what they have. How often do you display an abundance of pride in your possession? This is what Nebuchadnezzar did, by the way. Okay, he displayed a pride in all of his accomplishments and all that he had done. <clears throat> and then there's a verse there that says, when pride comes, disgrace follows, but humility comes with wisdom. Amen? Okay, let's look at the other passage. Uh, 34 to 35, two verses. After this kind of pride, I have you missed. I looked up to him. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High, and honored the one who lived forever. The rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. Yeah. All the people of his age are nothing compared to him. He does it, he makes it, among the kings. Of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by doing these Okay, or well, what have you done? Okay, all that's happening in the world today, nobody can say to God, What have you done? Why have you done this? You know, where you get off by doing this? Nobody can say that to God. And so at the end of the seven days refers to the years of the king's sentence. 
God taught him a lesson. Uh, God had to teach him humility. God had to beat him into submission. Okay, force him into submission. And uh, after seven years of being on grass, uh, God, he came around. And that's kind of unusual because normally when a person is on grass for all that time, they don't have all their senses, right? Their senses are warped and twisted, damaged. Nebuchadnezzar came to his san- senses, to his sanity. Okay, look at uh, the passage on page 96. What brought Nebuchadnezzar back to reality? I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. This looking up to heaven was an act of submission to the one who rules heaven and earth. And God responded with grace. He restored Nebuchadnezzar's sanity. He didn't have to do that, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar returned as a different person. He no longer claimed glory for himself. Instead, he gave God the glory. He praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever, according to verse 34. He became a man fully and completely humbled, proclaiming and exalting the everlasting God. What about us? How can we deal with pride? James shows us the way. James 4, 1. Submit to God. James 4, 7. Submit is a military term that means to place under orders. We must make a choice to come under the authority of God. Unconditional surrender to Him is the only way to complete victory. Number two, resist the devil, verse 7. Resist means to stand against an individual, to draw a line in the sand. But let's be clear. We cannot resist the devil unless we first submit to God. When you place yourself under God's authority, he will stand with you and for you. Number three, draw near to God, verses eight and nine. The call to submit is followed by a call to commit. We are to renounce sinful attitudes and actions that cause us to be distant from God. And then number four, Humble yourself. Verse 10. Humility is remembering we have only become who we are and received what we have because of what God and others have poured into our lives. Humility is being grateful and thankful to God and others for investing in our lives. Four points that we need to take from James that God had to teach Nebuchadnezzar in a forceful way. Question number four. What is your initial reaction to verses 34 and 35? When you read verses 34 and 35, what is your initial reaction? How does that verse impact you when you read it, those two verses? Anybody? Hmm? There's always hope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, look at uh, page 98. This is a live out section. This is what we do as a result of what God has uh, communicated to us in this lesson. 
and uh, probably we can adopt the same posture of humility before God by considering the following suggestions. One, ask for humility. Not everyone is born with a natural stockpile of humility. Pray for humility every day this week. Don't miss a day, every day. Ask God not only to grant you a proper understanding of your own place, but also a deeper understanding of His glory. Number two, display humility. We live in a toot-your-own-horn culture in which the temptation to bribe can be huge, especially since the rise of social media. This week, be intentional about allowing your life and words to point to Christ, not yourself. And thirdly, humbly correct a wrong. Living humbly in Christ means living humbly in, body, in the body of Christ. If you've wronged or hurt someone, or if you've acted arrogantly in front of another, swallow your pride. Go to the person and apologize and seek things to be made right. Sometimes it takes a big person to do that, but that's what humility is all about. Okay, and so finally, pride leads to downfall, but God honors humility. That's Proverbs 16, 18, 19. Submit to Jesus Christ and rejoice in the truth that he loves you and has a joyous plan and purpose for your life. Believe that because that's what God says. Amen? Amen.